Welcome to Snescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo Library, three games at a time, usually. We play them briefly, we judge them harshly, and we rank them. That's pretty much all you need to know. I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. And this is it, folks. We have reached the end of 1992, only two games left. And it will mean we'll be done with December 92, which, frankly, I'm happy about. Yeah, we had a slight reprieve last week with uh, some, some pretty interesting games coming out, but... Unfortunately, we're going to be ending the month and the year on a little bit of a down note because... uh, Not really feeling the heat on either of these games, frankly. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about Test Drive 2, The Duel, and Warp Speed. And interestingly enough, both of these games were made by, or at least published by, the same company. So that's going to make the history section a little bit easier to do today. They're not made by the same developer for that company, but I do feel like there's a little bit of commonality between them. So they're both games where you are in some kind of a cockpit. Both these games have a first-person viewpoint. Yep, they do. I guess we might as well just go ahead and talk about them. Let's just tackle warp speed. Okay, let's do it. Let's talk about warp speed. Warp Speed is a first-person perspective space shooter that was developed by Accolade and published by Ballistic, which was a little more than a short-lived label Accolade used for, among other things, publishing unlicensed games on the Sega Genesis. Yeah, did you think that was only a problem on Nintendo systems? It wasn't. (laughs) We are getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. So the Accolade story is pretty interesting. They were founded in 1984 by Alan Miller and Bob Whitehead. Uh, Both were very early programmers on games for the Atari 2600. The duo were among the Atari defectors who co-founded Activision in 1979. So back when we talked about Acclaim, we mentioned that the reason they chose that name Acclaim was that it came alphabetically before Activision. Turns out they might not have been the first company to do that. It's rumored that Activision got the name because it comes alphabetically before Atari and Accolade comes alphabetically before Activision. So Accolade's first game was in 1984. It was a uh, space merchant sim called Sundog Frozen Legacy. Good name. Yeah. Came out for the Apple II. Uh, some of their other early titles include the adventure game Law of the West and World War II flight sim The Dam Busters. The first couple of years would also see the company releasing their first installments of the golf series Mean 18 and baseball series Hardball, which would last long enough to see a release on the SNES. So we'll be talking a little bit more about that game specifically in the future. A lot of Accolade's early output was for computer systems like the Apple II and the Commodore 64. As they moved on into the 90s, Accolade was beginning to focus more on software for home video game consoles rather than computers, including the aforementioned unlicensed Sega Genesis games. This prompted Sega to sue the company in 1991. Sega initially won that suit, but this was successfully appealed by Accolade. In 1993, the two companies had reached an agreement, an out-of-court settlement was made, and Accolade would become a Sega licensee. Their last three unlicensed games, Summer Challenge, Al Michaels announces Hardball 3, and Jack Nicholas Power Challenge Golf would get official Sega reissues. Despite the legal issues, Accolade would see a good amount of success in the early 90s, in part due to the Bubsy series of games, which sold very well. Yeah, great. Yeah, Bubsy, yeah. 
Uh, their long-running test drive series transitioned well to the PS1. Bubsy, uh, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> By the mid-90s, both Miller and Whitehead had left the company, and Accolade was contracting a lot of its games to other developers. Eventually, the company was acquired by Infogrames in 1999. Them again. Ah, the fate of all flesh. Yes. Strangely, though, the Accolade brand was revived by Hong Kong-based Billionsoft in 2017, who uh, released a new Bubsy game that year, Bubsy the Woolies Strike Back. That was the one that, from what I understand, is kind of an okay game, because it's essentially just a reskin of Gianna Sisters' Twisted Dreams, which is itself an, a, a perfectly decent platformer. So they basically just made new levels for that, but put Bubsy in them instead of the Gianna Sisters. I didn't know about the whole thing with the Gianna Sisters. I, um, I will say that, like, I mean, first of all, that Bubsy game came out... Quite a few years after that Gianna Sisters revival came out, right? It did, yeah. I would also say uh, that replacing Bubsy with the Gianna Sisters is just um, going to make your game worse. (laughs) I don't think Bubsy is nearly as compelling a character as the Gianna Sisters. I'm just going to say that. Yeah, fair, fair. Bubsy's uh, big return was greeted with accolades such as being runner-up for Giant Bomb's worst game we played of the year. Fun. Great. Good. For anyone who is curious about what game won Giant Bomb's 2017 Worst Game of the Year award, it was Mass Effect Andromeda. Mass Effect Andromeda beat out Bubsy the Woolly Strike Back, or whatever it was called. Not what I would have picked, but what are you going to do? Of course, you know, we're, we're kind of dancing around the fact that, obviously, the actual best Bubsy game that ever existed is Bubsy 3D, Bubsy Visits the James Terrell Retrospective. I don't even know why they bothered making another one after that. There's one more interesting wrinkle that doesn't involve Accolade directly, but I want to put this out there anyway. Its co-founder, Alan Miller, according to an interview by Digit Press, after leaving Accolade, he also co-founded an educational company called Click Health. He mentions two games in his discussion about the company, Rex Ronin and Packy and Marion. Uh, you might remember those titles from our discussion of Captain Novalin, as they were two of the other games released by Reyes Systems. I didn't dig too much into this right now, because it's not relevant to the games we're talking about today, but I wanted to throw this out there, hoping that I remember to go back to this and tug on this thread a little bit more the next time we cover a Reyes Systems game, because maybe there is actually information out there that we can find out about this company and, and how these games came to be. Yeah, that's interesting. That's not a connection I would have ever expected. So anyway, that brings us to uh, Warp Speed. So there's not a whole lot of space shooters on the Super Nintendo. Not of this type. And I think there's a reason for that. I don't think these games are particularly well suited to a home video game console that doesn't have proper joysticks or more than one D-pad or, you know, just some way of properly maneuvering a vehicle in a completely 3D space such as this. So this game is in the same kind of wheelhouse as Wing Commander, which we talked about a few episodes back and had all of these problems with, and they're still present here. Uh, I think that this game is a little bit more manageable than Wing Commander, 
it's a little bit easier to to kind of track where the enemy ships are, possibly just because of the art design of this game makes those ships stand out a little bit more. But yeah, it's still very difficult. I mean, you're talking about a game where you are in a 3D space where everything looks the same. There's no visible up or down. Uh, there's just kind of a star field background and then occasionally objects in the star field. And you you kind of just have to manage with that as best you can. Uh, so the controls for this game, I think, are a little bit easier to figure out than Wing Commander. I think that um, Accolade did a better job of mapping the controls in a game like this to the Sines controller. But there's certain things that are also just not apparent at all that you would need to have documentation to figure out. Like, I, I needed to look up a fact before I figured out that, oh, I can warp to other areas on the map instead of just, like, waiting however long it takes to go there with my engines alone by holding down, I think it was the R button, and then moving the cursor on the map, which you can only do while that button is held down. Then you have to leave the map. Then you have to activate your radio with the X button and do that again to confirm that you want to warp. I had no idea about this. I did not do this at all during my time with the game um, because I didn't even know this was an option. Yeah, you wouldn't have without an instruction manual or a fact. And I, I could not find the instruction manual for this game online. I had to use a, a, something on GameFAQs. For me personally, I think it, it does a little bit better at, at making the actual space combat stuff a little bit more playable on the system, but it obviously still has a lot of extremely complex uh, control mechanics that it doesn't foreground at all, but it pretty much just has that. It doesn't do any of the simulation of living on a military ship, kind of light visual novel stuff that Wing Commander did. So it's good that the the space stuff here is a little bit better, but it's still not very much. And frankly, even though I, I did kind of get a handle on like getting to different areas of the map and fighting enemies, you know, this game still ended up feeling really flat to me pretty fast. Like I felt like I had seen everything this game had to offer within about half an hour, which actually wasn't even enough time to finish one of the missions in this game. I think visually this game is okay. I think uh, like the enemy ships, the ones I saw anyway, were pretty cool looking and that they, they moved reasonably well. There's a few different kinds of enemy ships, which is kind of neat. Basically what this game is, is you are given um, a list of missions to select from that each are kind of a different a different map layout, basically, uh, where you're basically told, go here, you know, kill these enemies, and I guess protect the, the star bases that the enemies are trying to attack. The star bases themselves are points on the map that you can go to to refuel, uh, and they can get destroyed, so you do have to make sure that you're, you're keeping track of them and watching out for them. Uh, there's also a couple of different, a few different maps available in, in the scenarios that you can move between by going to a black hole that will let you, you move to the, you know, adjacent map. Also, during your mission, you'll get various radio communications. Uh, some of them are from specific enemies, uh, challenging you. Uh, sometimes they are little kind of side missions like, hey, go to square A7 in, in Alpha Quadrant to, you know, blow up some asteroids and bring the, the, you know, remains of them back to us. Um, which is neat in in concept, but the game doesn't actually keep track of any of those side missions for you. There's no kind of quest log or anything. So unless you, you know, 
if you somehow forget where a a thing was supposed to be, you're probably just never going to even interact with that. Yeah. And, you know, while I appreciate that they try to do some of that, you know, like creating alien races for you to interact with and things like that, there isn't nearly the kind of world building going on here that there was in Wing Commander. I'm torn between the fact that this game has simpler controls, I think, than Wing Commander, but doesn't do as much to keep me engaged, which I, I, you know, because I think ultimately the controls are still a problem. And if I'm not as engaged with what I'm doing, I think I'm maybe even less likely to stick with this than I would be Wing Commander. But I, I don't know. Um, no, I think I'm pretty much with you there. Like, I think that Wing Commander having that whole other layer of world building and storytelling really, really kind of lifted that game up in a way. You know, I will admit that I found the space shooter segments of that pretty much unplayable. But I did want to try to get further in them so that I could interact more with that other part of the game. In this game, the, the space shooter part, is the game. That's the whole game. And it is probably better than what was in the Super Nintendo version of Wing Commander. But it's not so much better that that by itself was enough to keep me engaged with it. Like, I found this game to get pretty monotonous pretty fast. So, I mean, I guess since we're already comparing it to Wing Commander, do we just want to head over to the list? Let's do it, yeah. So, right now, Wing Commander is at number 71, and I think this one's going to fall below. Yeah, I would agree. Like, I would put this below Prince of Persia at 72 as well, I think. And I think I might put it below Hyperzone at 73. And I think I would put it below Axley at 74. I, boy, this one just keeps going down. Let me ask, I'm trying to see if I, if I can find, like, a floor here where I, I think I, I definitely wouldn't go any further. I would maybe place the floor somewhere around the baseball games, actually. I would definitely put this below extra innings. I think, like, maybe F1 ROC is the floor for me. I'm a, I, you know what? I can go with that. So I guess, like, maybe Cal Ripken Jr. Baseball? Is that the one that we want to be the final arbiter as to where this one ultimately goes? I think it goes either above or below that. I wish I remembered more in particular about Cal Ripken Jr. Baseball. I mean, we must have thought pretty highly of this one because, like, Extra Innings is one of the higher-ranked baseball games we've got on here because, like, that distinctive style really stood out to both of us, I think, and and, I, and we both really liked it. Totally, yeah. But the fact that I can't remember a whole lot about Cal Ripken Jr. makes me just want to say, like, ah, let's just put this above it and call it a day. I, I could do that. I mean... I, the the truth is that even though I find this game really monotonous, I don't really have tremendously strong feelings about it. Maybe we should look lower, honestly, because I feel like there's games on here that are that are below where we're putting this that I could at least say some good stuff about. You know, I, I feel like maybe I'm I'm trying to give this game some credit because it's just not my kind of thing, and I couldn't really figure it out. But I I think that the fact that you're saying it's also monotonous means it's Probably, it probably doesn't get better over time. That's the thing. I think that there's just not a lot going on here, and certainly not enough that I could really, like, recommend it to people who like this kind of game. If we look a lot further down on the list, a game this game actually does remind me of a bit is Gary Kitchen's Super Battle Tank War in the Gulf. That's a great comparison, actually. I have to say, I think maybe Gary Kitchen's got the edge here. Just because I think that game had better mission design. I hear what you're saying. I think this game might be a little bit more ambitious, though. But I don't know. Do you think that's enough? Uh, it might be enough. I mean, we didn't really like much about the... In, in practice, we didn't really like very much about Super Battle Tank. 
And I, I certainly did find this game a bit more fun to play. The moment-to-moment combat I found more fun than everything you had to do to get the tank to do what you wanted to wanted it to in uh in super battle tank i don't know how much further up it goes though like faceball 2000 for as flawed as i think that is i think that it works better as a sort of first person arena shooter than this does as a space shooter so i don't know if i'd even be willing to put it above faceball at 110 I don't think I would either. I think that's a sound argument there. I guess the question then is Roger Clemens MVP baseball at number 111. Does this go above or below that? Uh, yet another baseball game that I cannot remember. I just remember this one not working very well. I mean, it's ranked pretty low for a baseball game, actually. Yeah, that's true. Is it the lowest ranked baseball game? I think it must be. I don't think there's anything that we have on here that could be lower than that in sports, really. You know, in a genre of games that we have been pretty ho-hum about, the fact that it ranked this low, but like so much lower than all the rest of them, probably means it wasn't very good and, and we could confidently put this one above it. I'd say let's do it. Let's put Warp Speed on the list as our new number 111th game. So congratulations, Warp Speed. One of the few games on this game on this list in Camel Case. Indeed, yeah. Uh yeah, that wasn't really the thing quite yet. Now, it seems like that just happens all the time. To be fair, I think I typically write my pseudonym in Camel Case whenever I spell it out online, so I guess I can't I can't give too much shade there. So, Camel Case, for those uninitiated, is where you've kind of elided two words into one, but you still have the capitalization for the second word. So, Warp Speed, capital W, capital S, but all one word. Yeah, I guess that's just kind of stuck with me now in my head. Damn you, JavaScript. <laughs> anyway, so that's Warp Speed. I guess it's time to go on to the final game for 1992. And that game is Test Drive 2 The Duel. long-running test drive series there's a bunch of these games i didn't really know that but there are from what i researched it seemed like accolade was leaning pretty hard into that series in its last few years as an independent company they leaned into it in a way that feels kind of shameless to me even in like the even in these years they were doing things like releasing multiple different versions of this game for pcs that just had different cars so i believe you've actually got some information about the developer of this game for us correct distinctive software um so yeah they uh so once again this is an, an accolade published game but yes distinctive software uh they were a canadian uh game developer oh you're gonna like this actually established in uh british columbia by don matrick and jeff sember after their uh success with the evolution don matrick you may know if you know anything about kind of modern games history as uh, kind of the notoriously disliked CEO of Microsoft during the the end of the Xbox 360 and beginning of the Xbox One era. So they did um, really a lot of different, different games, mostly for various computers, uh, DOS, uh, Amiga, Commodore 64. A lot of games that were actually ports of Sega and Konami arcade games to those platforms 
They also did uh, did uh, uh, various games in the uh, Test Drive series. Uh, specifically, they did the original Test Drive and this game, uh, Test Drive 2, The Duel. And a kind of interesting thing about them is that Test Drive 2 ultimately resulted in them being involved in a pretty major lawsuit with Accolade, where... Essentially, after they made this game, they made an MS-DOS port of the Sega game OutRun, and they used some of the software libraries that they had created for Test Drive 2 for that game. And then, uh, essentially, Accolade sued them, claiming that because they had made that game, they had made Test Drive 2 for Accolade, they owned, uh, Accolade owned the source code for the game, and not just the you know, the name and the the general game design. They actually owned the specific code. And um, the court ultimately ended up siding with Distinctive Software over Accolade and, and saying that they did not have a right to the source code itself. And that's a, you know, I, I think a fairly meaningful, uh, fairly meaningful thing because that that was frequently, you know, a a question in this era of video games is who exactly owned what when it came to the actual, you know, work of making a game. Also, I, I was a little bit inaccurate earlier when I described Don Matrick as the CEO of uh of Microsoft. He was he was in charge of the the kind of interactive services, the interactive uh entertainment business uh part of Microsoft. Um, during that time. Uh, uh okay. So, yeah. 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 He's, uh, he's listed as management for a lot of, uh, for a lot of games credits. Oh, including 2005's Batman Begins, apparently. So what did you think of this one? I didn't love this one. You know, I, it's funny uh, you mentioned before that like Accolade kind of leaned hard on this series, and they they really managed to turn this into something once they were were making installments for it on like the PlayStation. And I have to admit, playing this game, it definitely felt like a a extremely downgraded port of a like PlayStation One racing game. It made me wish I was playing like Ridge Racer or things like that this is sort of a an attempt at making a little bit more i wouldn't say realistic but a, a game with uh a racing game with with some uh additional considerations you you have to take into account beyond just driving fast and beating the opponents there's a few different race courses in this and a few different i think licensed sports cars that you can drive uh you see whichever car you're driving from a kind of first person sort of driver's seat perspective where you can see the wheel you can see the you know um the the gear shift and and, and your uh rear view mirror of course and you drive on a few different roads uh that are populated by other cars that you have to pass and, and move around. Um, there's also cops on these roads that will uh, flag you down and give you a ticket if you go above the speed limit uh, and they catch you, uh, which doesn't really hurt anything except for making you lose time. And then at the end of the races, you have to stop at a specific point that is the the gas station at the end of the uh, at the end of the road. You have kind of a little, almost like a radar. Uh, that that tells you kind of where you are in relation to the other car because uh, these are these are 
you know, duels. These are one-on-one car races. Uh, so that shows you where your opponent is, where you are, and where the end point is. And you can actually overshoot that, uh, that, that, you know, end point and, and lose basically. So you have to make sure that you're slowing down and stopping at that, at, at the correct point. So all of that's kind of interesting, but yeah, I just didn't really find this game terribly fun to play. Even though the first person perspective is kind of impressive, this is a weirdly drab looking game. We've had some racing games that have really impressed us on the system and We've also had some racing games that have been absolute garbage, and this doesn't come anywhere near either of those extremes. But yeah, it it just kind of feels like another one of these. And yeah, on a system where you've got Top Gear, I just don't know why on earth you'd want to play this one. None of that stuff that I described about how these races actually work really does enough to make this feel more interesting to play than if it was just kind of empty, bare racetracks. And if that was the case, then, you know, there still wouldn't be enough actual real fun to the driving itself to really elevate this. But it's not terrible. Like, there's nothing wrong with this. There's just not much about it that I really like either. I will say that this is the first game that I can think of in which bugs will splatter against your windshield. That's uh, an interesting thing. Yes, that's true. That realism. Yeah, that's a that's a feature I remember uh, there being in Cruising USA, I want to say. so. Yeah, that's right, yeah. I mean, I guess Cruising USA isn't actually the, the overall worst comparison to make for, like, how this game sort of functions, but it doesn't have that fun, twitchy, arcade uh, handling that Cruising USA did, or the sense of humor. It's, it's got a little bit of that. There's, like, the gas stations that all have funny names and stuff like that in this game. But yeah, on the whole, there's there's not a lot of personality to this. Um, you've got like four different circuits, I guess you'd say, and, and each circuit has its own set of racetracks, really just, you know, stretches of road that you are racing on, I should say. I really struggle coming up with a lot of great things to say about it or any reason at all that anyone should try this one on a system in which, you know, you've already got Top Gear, you've already got Mario Kart. But... I do think it is better than the absolute dregs of the racing game uh, market that we have on here. I mean, it's no race driving. Let's say that. Yeah, this is a heck of a lot better than race driving. So I guess, um, do you have anything else you want to add to this or do you want to? Yeah, I I think we can just go ahead and and rank it. Um, So what was the what was the last racing game that we played that had like those pretty awful stereotypes that like you were? That we're presenting the races. Road Riot Four Wheel Drive. That sounds right. Yeah, where's that one right now? That one's low. That's a bottom ten game. Actually, interesting to note, three of the games in our bottom ten are uh, are racing games. Race driving at the absolute bottom of the list, one thirty nine. RPM racing at one thirty five, and then Road Riot Four Wheel Drive right above that at one thirty four. See, this game was really making me think of Road Riot when I was playing it, but I would bet if I went back to Road Riot, I'm guessing the reason it's down so low, and aside from just the kind of grossness of it would be that it was also kind of choppy and not very good frame rate it was it was kind of choppy and it was also a terrible port of the arcade game it was a thing where you could kind of see where all the cuts had been made and it really hurt the game i don't know maybe we could start from someplace like cyberspin then at number yeah cyberspin at number 114 yeah i think that's probably a pretty good place to start honestly 
I would go up from Cyberspin just because that game was really basic. And at least this, you know, it's got the nice cockpit view. It's got, you know, decent handling and some of its own ideas. It's just, you know, not really full of character. Yeah. So interesting to note, this is going to be our 140th game on the list. And obviously this is going to be the last one before we start moving into 93 and we're going to have another special, um, Let's do this. Let's let's go up to Super Ghouls and Ghosts, which is right now at number 99. Does this kick this one to number 100, or do you think this is a better game than, or this is a worse game than Super Ghouls and Ghosts? I don't know if I could say this is a worse game than Super Ghouls and Ghosts. There is nothing wrong with this game. I could recommend this game to somebody who just wanted a racing game, any racing game. Whereas Super Ghouls and Ghosts, for... I think it does have a lot of good qualities to it is also a game that is, is um, only really for a very specific type of player. Yeah. So actually, so in that case, then let's move up to like number 87 F1 ROC, which is a one, which is a game that we compare a lot of things to because this was just such a, you know, sort of middling bleh experience. I think this racing game is too, but I think that the fact that it's not just like, Formula One on racetracks that it's actually on roads maybe makes this a little bit more dynamic than that game. Yeah, I mean, I'd certainly, I think, rather play Test Drive 2 than F1 ROC. Yeah, and then above that, we've got um, Extra Innings and Cal Ripken Jr. again at 85 and 86. Does this go above those? Maybe it does. You know, I, I'm trying to see what our our next kind of available comparisons are. And I think this is sort of the point where we start running into things that I think really kind of push back against it, you know, cause I mean, I, I don't really have much good to say about James Bond jr. But if we go up from there, you know, Roadrunner's death Valley rally is not a great game, but it's, it's trying pretty hard to incorporate the kind of personality and, and even the structure of the cartoons it's mimicking into the game, which is pretty novel. And then we got right in trad and gods above that. Which um, you know, those have things that I could uh, that that I think are are pretty neat about them for for all their issues. Here's where I think it goes. I think it goes between Roadrunners, Death Valley Rally, and James Bond Jr. Because I think James Bond Jr. is where, like, I would say there's nothing interesting enough about this game to make me say you should try it. Where all the platformers above it, like Roadrunner and say um, uh, Gods, while not amazing games, at least are interesting in some way, in a way that this game, that the test drive really isn't. I agree with that. I think this is a good place for it. Okay, so I think this is going to be our new number 84. Test drive to the duel. Number, our 140th game on the list, coming in at uh, number 84 here. And, uh, you know, honestly, it feels strangely uh, appropriate to close out 92 with a game that's just a little bit below the middle of the pack. I mean, you know, we, we've had some pretty good stuff in 92 as well. We absolutely have. We've had some great stuff in 92. I'm not sure really if I'm at a point where I can make any like really definitive statements about 92 as a year in this system's life. But yeah, I mean, definitely there are there are some very good games that stand out in it for me. Uh, and also a bunch of stuff that I think is novel, but doesn't really achieve the heights that it was going for you know we don't do this very often but what if we went through like the bottom 10 and the top 25 of our list just for folks who 
aren't going to honestpiranha.com to check the list themselves, which you can do. You could do that right now, in fact, if you'd like to. Honestpiranha.com, where you can not only view the list as it exists as we record these, but also just click on any episode and see what the list looked like when we added that episode's games to it. So, yeah, we'll, we'll start with the bottom 10 here. So, 131, we've got Wings 2, Aces High. Yeah, a, a really just bland game in a genre that we are not crazy about. So, you know, like, arguably, maybe could have gone a little bit higher if World War One history or, or games based on World War One stuff was anything we were at all interested in, but... Eh. Still a deeply flawed game, though, even with that. Um, so after that, we've got... Ultraman Towards the Future, the first fighting game on the system that full of choices that just really make you wonder, what were they thinking when they made this? Truly bad choices that get in the way of what should be, frankly, a pretty easy license to translate into a decent video game. 133, we've got Earth Defense Force, which is another one of those really generic shooters that disappointingly has nothing to do with giant bugs nothing at all it is not that one uh number 134 we've got home alone home alone i feel like this is a pretty infamously bad game there's a few of these in our bottom 10 but you know i I think it's sort of right at the crux of being just like uh, a really poorly conceived platformer and a kind of low effort licensed game. This one, though, honestly does have a couple of sort of interesting ideas. It's just a dreadful, dreadful game to play. And after that, we've got Road Riot 4WD at 135. Which uh, we talked about this a little while ago. Um, a drastically downgraded arcade port and also uh, a showcase for some really uncomfortable sub punch out level racism yeah not a fun game to play either uh after that we've got rpm racing a really ambitious game that absolutely doesn't like that barely works honestly it's a catastrophe then we've got robocop 3 an absolutely abysmal side-scrolling platformer that no one should play um then we've got the rocketeer God, I hate this game. I can acknowledge that the two games below this are probably worse games, but The Rocketeer is the only one of these in the bottom ten that really makes me angry to think about playing it. It is just such a colossal waste of time. I can't imagine many worse licensed games than this, and licensed games already have a pretty bad rap, and for mostly good reason. I mean, there's three of them here in the bottom ten, or four of them here in the bottom ten, so yeah. Sure are. Um... So after that, we have 139 Pit Fighter, which we would have sworn when we started doing this project would have ended up being the worst. But it's not, because that dubious honor goes to Race Driven, a game so broken that I cannot believe they put this out in retailers. I can't believe they expected people to pay money for this thing. I don't often feel this way, but I honestly think that somebody could have brought legal action against atari for trying to sell this game to people i can't believe nintendo put their stamp on it like it is it is a true disaster all right so let's go into the top 25 fortunately we're not gonna be able to go too much in depth on any of these because there's a lot but so number 25 we've still got uh east three wanders from east which is kind of interesting that it's still in the top 25 still hanging around there i wouldn't necessarily have expected that at the time but i'm kind of glad to still see it there number 24 we've got mario paint which is a hard sell these days but was really really neat when it came out. It is still a pretty fun little program to mess around with. I think it's still a fun toy. Uh, Legend of the Mystical Ninja at 23, a 
a game with some pretty heavy flaws, but like it's really close to being amazing. I think if this game was a little more forgiving, it could be a top 10 game. Yeah, I think so too. Number 22, we've got Sim City, which is just a, a surprisingly good port of the PC Classic. We got F Zero at number twenty one, which is you know still a classic racing game, even though it's you know not nearly as fully featured as some other racing games that we'll be talking about here in a sec. Like Super Off Road at number twenty, which um, you know like doesn't look like much from distance, but is actually a lot of fun. It's a really fun little thing. It's really tight, really polished, and um, just a great time overall. Darius Twin at number nineteen, which is just a solid co op. Uh, scrolling shooter 19 or sorry uh, 18 we've got the magical quest starring mickey mouse which we just played last episode it was a really fun platformer uh that takes some time to get started but once it gets there it's uh it really it really gets there slow start is what keeps it from being as good as number 17 hook which is just a really surprisingly solid licensed uh platformer hook's a short game but it's kind of an all killer no filler situation you know um, after that, we've got Blazion, the, Cy- the Bio-Cyborg Challenge at number 16, which uh, actually surprises me a bit that it's this high, but it was pretty fun getting to take control of enemy ships. I think it definitely helped in this game's case that like we both had a big turnaround on our opinions of it once we figured out that central mechanic. Uh, number 15 is Lemmings, which is just a really fun classic puzzle game that I think is still getting versions coming out on modern hardware and for good reason it's pretty timeless yeah we've got contra 3 at number 14 which is a tough as nails running gun shooter that is a lot of fun if you are down for one of those great graphics really cool set pieces brutally difficult as well (laughs) Uh, number 13 is super mario kart which is still a really fun little arcade kart racer even though every version after it has just uh eclipsed it great leap it was the first one it had to start somewhere and it's a good game number 12 we've got top gear which is a racing game that took us both by surprise just for being a really really amazing racing game that we just did not expect to see something like this on the Super Nintendo. Frankly, it's it, like technically proficient in ways that I wasn't expecting from the Super Nintendo. Honestly, I think Top Gear is one of the nicest surprises we've had in the entire history of this show. At number 11, we've got UN Squadron, which is still, uh, despite lacking some of the features from the arcade game, one of the best scrolling shooters on the system thus far. Act Razor at number 10, which is just a really fun, really unique experience. Uh, that we'll be talking about again, and unfortunately is in its sequel is going to lose a lot of what made the original so special. That is a real shame. But uh, yeah, the original ActRaiser, an amazing game that uh, I would honestly recommend anybody who has an interest in action platform games, city management games, or just like cool Japanese RPG offshoots from this time period should definitely check out if they have never done that. Number nine, we've got Space Megaforce, which I do believe is our favorite shooter on the system at this point. Yes, it is. And uh, for good reason. It's a just a great game all around. Uh, number eight is Soul Blazer. Again, kind of going back to ActRaiser, a little bit of a spiritual successor to that that sort of combines the two aspects of ActRaiser in, 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 let's say, a less modular way. Number seven is Out of This World, which might be the biggest surprise for me because I was really expecting this game to not work nearly as well as it did. Amazed that they managed to translate this game as well as they did to the to the Super Nintendo. Like it, it kind of blows my mind that they managed to get as much of the game working and working well and and working intuitively on the Super Nintendo platform. It, it really surprised me. It's it's really impressive. This is a remarkable game. All- 
around and they managed to do a really good conversion of it to the Super Nintendo, even though the Super Nintendo isn't necessarily set up hardware wise to really be capable of much of this. A TMNT four turtles in time is number six. Just, um, a ridiculously fun beat em up. Mm-hmm. Just one of the all time great beat em ups, really. The Super Nintendo version of it, I think, is the ultimate version of it in a lot of ways. Yeah, I was really thinking we'd have more really, really good beat em ups by this point on the Super NES, but this one just stands head and shoulders above the rest of them right now. Uh, honestly, this has been a little bit of a spotty genre for the, for the Super Nintendo so far. I know we will get some other stuff that will give this one kind of a run for its money, but that really has not happened so far. Uh, next up, we've got Final Fantasy 2 at number 5, also known as Final Fantasy 4, and uh, I don't think anybody needs us to go into why we like this one so much. Uh, number 4 is Super Castlevania 4, which is just uh, an amazing take on the original Castlevania. I, I just want to point out that uh, there's a lot of Konami on this top 25. <laughs> there is, isn't there? So at number three, we've got The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past, which, I mean, come on, you guys have already played this one, right? Right, yeah. You should, if you haven't. It's a very good game. Uh, Number two, we've got Street Fighter 2, which just edged out Legend of Zelda, but was just such a groundbreaking game for the entire genre of fighting games. It really put them on the map, and... This version of Street Fighter 2 for the SNES... It's good. It's a good version of it. Even with the knowledge that more advanced versions of this are coming out, we were really shocked by how complete this felt. It plays great, it looks good, and it feels really like the proper version of the game. You know, it doesn't feel like a bunch of corners have been cut to get it onto the Super Nintendo, which frankly is a bit unusual for Capcom in this early going with the Super Nintendo, because, yeah, that's been a bit of an issue with them. And, yeah, here they've really managed to to do the game justice. And then, finally, at number one, we've got Super Mario World, which is still on top uh, from the very beginning. And, and I... I don't know. I'm starting to think maybe it's just going to stay there. I'm not sure yet. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, so that's it. That is uh, that is a wrap on 1992. Uh, well, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about 1992 in the next episode when we're going to have the Grand Rapidians here and we will just kind of discuss what was going on and see if they've got any suggestions for us as far as uh, challenges to the list are concerned. And after that, yeah, we're going to be looking forward and moving into 1993 and uh, with that, I guess, uh, is it time to get serious? I think it is, yeah. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about unionization today, um, but specifically I want to talk about who doesn't belong in the unionization movement and who doesn't belong in the labor unions, and that's the police. Police are anti-labor. They are the ones who get called to strike down labor protests and things like that. They have no business being there. A police union in New York City has already endorsed uh, Trump for president in this next election. A lot of police unions did that in 2016 as well. Absolutely, if you are part of a labor union, fight to exclude police. They don't fight with us. They fight against us. They have no business being a part of the labor movement. Yeah, uh, very much agreed. And uh, recently, the military has put their Twitch stream back up. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. They are... Basically trying to get very young children on board with the military before the, you know, they can really be old enough to form their opinions about why the military might be bad, actually. 
So, yeah, if you happen to be on Twitch and you happen to run into any of the uh, U.S. military uh, Twitch streams at all, maybe just pop in and ask them what sort of war crimes are their favorites and then just leave. Defund the police, defund the military, take it all back. That's all I got today. (laughs) Yeah, well, folks, that's going to do it for us for today. Thank you all for listening. Uh, We hope to see you guys again next week when we do our special and uh, and after that, as we start going into 1993, we all really appreciate you listening up to this point. And uh, that's all I got. Any, anything else for today? No, that's going to be it. Uh, thank you all very much for listening. Uh, 92 has, I think, been a, a, a sort of mixed year, but uh, we thank you for sticking with us through it. And we're excited to get into 93 and see what it's got to offer. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited, but we also need to remember, like, a lot of stuff came out in 93. Far more games came out in 93 than came out in 1992. Absolutely. So we do kind of need to steal ourselves for the fact that there may be long periods of time where we're just reviewing a lot of games that aren't great. When those times happen i'm gonna try and remember why we chose the super nintendo instead of deciding to do the original nintendo because (laughs) on average the drek on the super nintendo is still better than the drek on the nes so i'm gonna try and remember how far we've come and and think of the positive i'm gonna try i'm gonna try real hard but it's gonna be tough sometimes but anyway folks until next time thank you all for listening i'm steampunk link i'm emmy zero play it loud Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoax, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoax.com. That's T-E-K-N-O-A-X-E dot com.